Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We are in a series at the moment and it's called Real Life, Real Faith, Real God. And we've been looking at this for the last five weeks. Today we are concluding our series together. And uh, I just wanted to recap what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Everything that we've covered up until now. Because when we're talking about real life, real faith and real God, we're asking the questions, what does it mean to live by faith in our everyday? What can we learn from those who have gone before us? How can we challenge, challenge ourselves to press into a living and active faith in our everyday? And so in our first week together, I introduced a series and I shared this thought process about stepping out to step in. I was looking at Abraham moving from the familiar into the unfamiliar, how faith requires us to step out. And it's actually uncomfortable when you do step out, but that's why we do it. Despite the many questions that we may have, we trust God. Stepping out is not only for our benefit, but also for those that will follow us. And so that's why it requires faith. When God says, go, we go. In our second week, Ruth shared a powerful message on having faith in the firing line. What do we do when our faith is under attack? Where do we stand? What are some of the things uh, we can take to enable us to stand by faith through those difficult situations? Where do we look to when the going gets tough? In our third week, Wish uh, shared a, and that, again, a continuation, living a life of faith. And she did all the hard work for us because she read the entirety of Hebrews uh, chapter 11 when we have that great discourse about faith. I was listening to that, Rush, and I was thinking, great, we don't have to share anymore. She's done it all for us. But it's important to read Scripture in its entirety because, she, as she said, and so rightly said, Scripture is not reduced to just singular verses and chapters is a whole discourse unveiling um, a truth that flows from one passage to the next. And it's good to read it in its entirety rather than just limit it down to one or two verses. And she was sharing, asking the question, what does a life of faith look like? How does it look practically? And she identified four areas that faith can be seen. It's in our worship of God, our obedience to him, our lifestyle and a belief system. And then in our fourth week, Alex, he shared on having faith for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy, is it? It's a painful process at times. It takes great faith to live out a life of forgiveness. And we need to understand how it flows from God first in order for it to be an overflow out of us in our everyday And then last week, Robin shared on the rewards of our faith. How when we use that muscle of faith, how when we use it, we will be able to see supernaturally and also naturally mountains in our lives be moved, hope to be released, and promises gained in our God. So we've covered a lot of ground in the last few weeks. And today, even though I'm concluding our series, I'm looking at what I believe to be personally one of the most challenging aspects of faith. I was going over these words last night, and I was like, ooh, 
this is a bit heavy, but maybe we need to, it to be heavy. Maybe we need to hear something like this. And so I hope you will follow me, and I'll try and guide us through it this morning. Because I feel if we're not careful, we can easily fall short of this aspect that I'm going to share on, allowing other things to actually stem our faith, stunt its growth, and prevent its full outworking in our lives, which in turn can prevent us from fully realizing the fullness of what God has for us and how he can move in us. We want and we need to encourage each other in our faith journeys. We, it's important. We're told to spur one another on in love and in good deeds. And it's important to spur one another in our faith of God. But it's important to realize that there is a serious aspect that cannot be ignored and it cannot be neglected. It's so easy to focus on affirmations in the word, but ignore or turn a blind eye to those corrective passages. There's passages that talk about discipline. There's passages that are not easy to digest, and we can brush over them, ignore them, because we want to focus on the good parts. And when we look in Scripture at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, there's this passage which states all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Training, rebuking, correcting. And there's one verse of this Hebrews passage, when we look in Hebrews chapter 11, that I think can be, I know I speak to myself, I can pass over it, underappreciate it, just be like, yes, okay, and move on to the next part. And it's Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, diligently or sincerely seek after him. That is something to pay attention to and not just brush over. And so today, what we're looking at is faith through sacrifice and surrender. That's what we're looking at this morning. Faith through sacrifice and surrender. So what do I mean when I say surrender? Well, it's often seen as a battle term. It implies giving all our rights to a conqueror someone or something that is greater than we are. It's a laying down of our arms. We surrender to you. And then when I say sacrifice, well, we, when we look in Scripture, you've got that passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that talks about being living sacrifices to God by not conforming to this world and what this world is saying that we should follow. These are things like following what our flesh desires, what fulfills our physical needs, our eyes, what, they, what are they looking at, what are we allowing into our eyes, the materialism or wanting the things that we don't have, or what's often regarded as the pride of life. Any ambition that puffs me up 
that makes me big and grand and puts me on the throne of my life, in the driving seat. This is everything the world offers. How big are you making yourself? How big are you making your name? And as we're going to see, Jesus challenges us to be different. We're going to be looking at what is one of the greatest, but I think one of the most challenging statements of Jesus for those who will come after him, his disciples. And it's found in Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be reading this together. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through to 9, and verse 1. And it says this. It says, then he, this is Jesus talking, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. It's challenging, isn't it? Jesus here is holding, no, but holding back no punches, is he? I mean, often he hides his words. I say hide his words. He, he speaks in par- parables of poetry. Here, he is straight to the point so that you cannot miss what he is saying. What he was saying here was following a long discourse of sharing how his time was coming, why he would soon suffer, but also how those who were professing the very things of Scripture would reject him, would turn away from him, because they not only misunderstood the words of the ancient texts, but couldn't see beyond their own eyes, their own understanding their own self-serving nature of who Christ was. And he's trying to make the point here, don't you not see, you need to deny yourself. And it's very important we don't take it lightly when we follow him. And so we're going to look at those few statements that Jesus said. And the first one is to deny ourselves. Or as I would say, it's about letting go. I've said it often to myself in the last couple of months. It's learning to let go of the reins in my life. It's self-denial. Replacing our own preference and our own plans with God's priorities and his program, what he desires. Turning away from, dare I say, an inward view, a self-centeredness and an inward Perspective, And this is so natural for us. We're all on our own walks in life. We're all walking through different things. And they have a direct impact on each and every single one of us. That sometimes that's the only thing that we can see. But there's a bigger picture we need to comprehend. 
Denying ourselves is forsaking our own personal ambitions and desires, what we think is best or right or even true, to fulfill the will of God, living for his sake rather than our own. That takes faith. That takes faith and trust in him. Paul said it clearly when you look in at his word in Galatians 2, uh, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew how to say things, didn't he? So good with his words. And his making the statement that his inward view died when he died with Christ. His spirit-directed life began when he arose with Christ. And it's the same for us. And there was this theologian I came across, A.W. Tozer. Some of you may be familiar with him. But he makes this statement. He says, the man on the cross is facing only one direction. He is not going back and he has no plans of his own. You think about it when you're on the cross... You can't turn back. That's gone. You are committed to the cause. Your focus is only on one thing and one thing only. It's giving up what the world can provide in order to gain what only God can provide. Maybe going without now with the faith that God will abundantly reward any sacrifice that a follower makes to follow him faithfully. is understanding that letting go of our rights, our so-called belief of rights now, means we gain eternity in him. So much of the focus, I think, can be the focus on this, our, ourselves now, in this world now, forgetting that there's an eternity that follows. And we're so... We can become so fixated on this that we forget to sow into that. It takes faith. And the thing is, and what I'm seeing in, this, in the world today more and more so, so is that it's so me-centered, isn't it? It's all about me. You must respect me. And if I can be so daring to state this, if we're not careful, this whole thought process can infiltrate the church. That we now are beginning to see or beginning to hear a me-centric gospel. It's limiting God to our truth rather than denying we know anything at all and surrendering to him. So many today are looking for affirmation, acceptance for where they are. To be valued where they're at, rather than willing to walk the narrow and difficult road of transformation in God. Accept me for me. And I say, there's more to you than where you're at. God sees something so much more in you than you think you have in yourself. But it takes surrender. It takes sacrifice. Is giving up on our own earthly ambitions, those temporary gains, glory and honor for self, 
the question is, is it better to be known by this world or better to be a nobody yet known and loved and cherished by God? That's the challenge. And that's why it requires faith. And another theologian I came across, P. Bailey, he said it like this. What is gained in Christ far outweighs all that is lost for Christ. What we have gained in Christ it outweighs all that we've lost for his name, for his name's sake. So simply saying, denying ourselves means letting go of the reins. And this can look different for each one of us. Maybe it's that we want to have some sort of control. I know I'm like that. I want to have some control. I want to, have, I want to be able to say, oh, I'm not too sure about that, and I'm hanging on. And God says, let go. Trust me. Maybe it's a thought process. Maybe it's the, an action or a, um, the way that we think about certain situations. Challenging to let, us, let go of those things. I've heard it said, let go and let God. But it takes faith. So that's denying ourselves. That's a challenge. But then we also have this statement, pick up our cross. Pick up our cross. Now what it doesn't necessarily mean is that we, have to, we must carry a burden for the rest of our lives. Because, of course, you have that passage we said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it's not meaning that we have to take, say, oh, I'm, I've got a strange relationship, but I'm, that's my cross I'm going to carry. No. Or maybe a physical illness or a thankless job. It's not necessarily stating that. But it does mean that the road that we are walking on will be difficult. Following God is not easy. Just throwing it out there in case you didn't know. It is not easy. It is a challenge. When you look at the cross and what it meant at the time of its, its writing, the cross meant death. That's what it meant. It was reserved for those who were about to die. And these individuals who would carry their cross were ridiculed and disgraced along the way. And Christ walked that road. Just like denying ourselves, our so-called need to be right, our perspective, wants and desires, dying to self and picking up the cross is absolute surrender to his way. Completely. A life living for him. Nothing in this world is worth more than picking up the internal promise of God. Nothing in this world is worth more. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Now, I was thinking about this. I'm gearing myself up for this, Ben. I hope you're ready, because I've wanted to help us visualize this in some way. Because, like I said, this is not an easy thing to share. And it's like, well, what is our cross? What does that look like? Ben, I'm going to invite you up. We haven't practiced this today, and I don't know whether this is going to work. Either way, it will paint the picture. <laughs> You're right. You can Thank stand you, this please. side. That's so, please, thank you. Ben, is, you're going to represent my cross. 
the cross I have to carry. <laughs> I've got my personal trainer up there, Ke Kevin. I don't know what I can do this, but... <laughs> but this is just to make the picture. The cross that Jesus asks us to carry is bigger than, often bigger than ourselves. Yeah? Marginal, okay. And it can be daunting. It can be overwhelming. And we may not understand it. Or the, the weight of what Jesus is asking us. Sorry, no puns meant there. The thing is, is... <laughs> Do you think I can lift up my cross with just one hand? And this hand is busy and occupied. I can't. Because what Jesus is asking for is ultimate surrender to him. It requires every part of me to lift up that cross. I'm just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I cannot, I'll try with one hand, I cannot lift him up, almost. I, almost, yeah, with one hand. I can try, but I would fail and stumble and fall. I did ask him before this, just to give a bit of perspective, to just, and he agreed to say this. I feel like I, there's a, you have to have a disclaimer for everything now. In kilos, roughly, how much do you weigh? 100 ish. There you go. 100 kilos. Yeah. Lifting our cross requires our all in all. We're going to give this a go. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. uh, there we go. You're right. Oh, my word. <laughs> Thank you. You can go back now. now. Oh, I need some water now. <laughs> you know what, we tried that three times before. I did it once out of three. Oh, thank you, Kevin. It's working. <laughs> Getting stronger. But I hope it makes the point, right? Taking up our cross. We cannot do it half-heartedly. We cannot do it Oh, one day I'll try and the other day I won't. It's daily. And it requires every part of us to do it. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This narrow gate, or what I would call the constricted way, it leads to life. Living in the kingdom of God now and for eternity. With the world on our doorstep, we can sometimes fall into thinking that this way the way that Christ asks is too restrictive, albeit too strict. You talk with some people and say, it's all, it's all about, it's all rules, isn't it? It's all what you can't do. 
But what they don't understand is also a refinement. Walking that way is a sacrifice and a surrender to commit to the narrow way because it brings fullness of life. If a person wants to retain control of their life, they will suffer the loss of something more valuable in the future. If we want to retain control, we will lose the potential that God has for us. However, if a person, if we are willing to relinquish control, picking up our cross in order to follow God's will faithfully, we will gain something of greater ultimate worth. You may not see it now, but it is there. And it often picking up the cross means bearing criticism and affliction associated with our chosen way of life. Like I said, it's not easy. Not everyone is going to agree with the life we are living for him. We are set apart for him. And there will be people in our lives that will criticize us mainly because they don't understand. Or they don't, cannot see it from the way that we can see it. I often think of the persecuted church. I've had a privilege to actually go out to North Africa on a couple of occasions and witness firsthand the persecuted church, these men and women that hide in their homes under candlelight, studying the word. And if they're found out, it could mean death, yet they still do it because there's greater ultimate worth at the end of that narrow road. That faith blows me away. And I don't want us even though we have the privilege to meet under a building together, lights fully on, singing aloud, to miss out or miss that point and the importance of denying ourselves and taking up our cross for God. We read Jesus' word in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He is the ultimate head, the ultimate authority. We have nothing to fear by following him. We just got to trust and walk and hold on to him. So then we have the final, th- the final thing that Jesus said. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Follow him. Following Jesus means to do it faithfully, it means to do it publicly. That's an important point. Not hidden, but publicly for all to see. Even if it means shame, suffering, and perhaps physical death, as I already alluded to. In Scripture, you see these different incidences of where Jesus was calling people to follow. You've got Simon and Andrew, fishermen, um, in their boat in Mark 1, 17 to 18, and Jesus comes upon them and says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what is the next line? At once they left their nets. At once they followed him. They left their livelihood in an instant to follow him. Even Matthew the tax collector in Mark 2, 14, Jesus just simply said, follow me. The next line? He got up and he followed. Just like that. Leaving what he was doing to follow Christ.
Christ. And so it's the simple thing for us is when God says follow, we follow. Like I said at the start of this whole series when we're looking at Abraham, when God says go, we go. We don't question. We don't doubt. He says follow me. Okay, I follow. Here I am. I'm going to follow you. And sometimes it is that radical to do it at once, to do it immediately. And at other times, it's more gradual, the change in our thoughts, a daily action that becomes a habit. But it all starts from that attitude of saying, God, I want to follow you, rather than follow myself, follow what the world says. And just to to make this point, we're going to look at another passage of scriptures in Luke chapter 9 reading from verses 52, no, 57, sorry, to 62. Luke chapter 9, it should come up behind me. Done the homework for you today. And it says, as they, these are the disciples, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but the man replied, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, another challenging statement. Each of the individuals that we see in that passage, they underestimated the degree of commitment Jesus required of them who would follow him. And there is a cost for us. That's why it's faith through surrender and sacrifice. When we look at the first person here that says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus clarified what is involved or the so-called cost of following him so that man would understand. It could require being without a home for some time, physical discomfort, other sacrifices and rejection. In the the second person he addressed, he was reflecting the high calling it is to follow Christ. It requires an immediate and wholehearted participation. And in the final, the final person he encountered, the emphasis that Jesus was stating was it involves hard work and sacrifice. Like, plowing, like a farmer plowing a field, he has to be focused on where he's going where he's moving. If a disciple allows life to distract him or her from the duties of discipleship, then they are unfit to follow him. If we are distracted, we're not walking in step with him. Simply saying, the call to follow him is to do so faithfully and single-mindedly. You, God, are my all in all. You are everything I desire. Nothing else matters. What you say goes. I will follow you. It takes faith. Like I said, following him is not easy. 
So the question for us all this morning, and I want to, to share and for you to weigh up is, where are you on your walk with God? Are you all in? Or are you struggling to let go of your reign? Denying ourselves is hard and it's sometimes painful. It is painful. When you have a deep dream or desire and you reach a point where you say, God, I surrender this to you. It's painful. That's why you have that passage that says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not saying that he will give you anything you want. It's when God becomes the focus those desires that we think we need become less as he becomes more. And so the desires that suddenly build up in our heart are everything that honors him and magnifies him. And as we serve him, we actually get blessed as a result. It overflows through us. Taking up our cross must be a daily habit, not a half-hearted attempt. I'm sure Ben would be willing to let you try and pick him up after the service if you feel so. <laughs> following him, following Jesus requires our all in all, a wholehearted commitment. So the question is, do you need to surrender? Are you willing to sacrifice to him? What is gained in Christ far, away, far outweighs all that is lost for Christ. And so I don't know what you're walking through. Maybe there's something you're struggling to let go of. Come to him. Surrender it to God. Allow him to take the reins. Maybe he's asking something, prompting something in you, and you're just weighing it up. You're like, I just don't know. I'm struggling with this. It doesn't make sense to me. Why don't you just step out and follow him and see what he can do? Maybe it is that what I was trying to illustrate with Ben about I want to take up my cross, but I'm holding on to this as well. Can I encourage you to let go of that thing so that you can completely take up that cross? Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.